0: I, I was just telling Pat, I'm like, man, it's completely different going from the East Coast to the West Coast. Okay, I went from uh, a week ago to where I was wondering if the people were awake in the sanctuary <laughs> to now I'm here. And just the excitement and the desire to worship is very evident. So, Pastor, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to be here. Um, so, uh, you know, I get, I get to lead this thing called Speed the Light. And pastor said 300 million, let me just update you. So adding on the last two years, we're at 350 million uh, that we've surpassed this year. God is doing a phenomenal work, and yes, Speed the Light provides transportation for our missionaries. And today's National Speed the Light Sunday, so let me just say that. All across the nation, we have district directors and pastors talking about this thing called Speed the Light, that's student-led, student-initiated, but adult-facilitated, because sometimes our kids can't do it without us, amen? So transportation, communication, and compassionate demonstration. So before I get into the word that has absolutely nothing to do With Speed the Light this morning, uh, let me kind of just update you of what's happened the past three years. I've been in this position now. Since January of 2018, I was the DYD District Director for the Assemblies of God in the state of Illinois. I'm still trying to figure out how this whole thing happened in my life, because I am the least deserving of an opportunity to be on a platform preaching the gospel. Uh, mom's side, three generations of the occult. Dad's side, three generations of pornography addicts. I'm first generation AG and first generation pastor in my family. Okay. Um, my... Thank you. My wife, my wife has a very similar story. Both of her parents were alcoholics. She's first-generation AG as well, first-generation pastor. We really get to change the dynamic of where generations go from now in our family, and that's what we love. And speaking of family, I brought you a picture this morning because I wish they could travel with me, but they really can't keep up to my pace, and my wife will say that. So if you want to put that picture up, this is my crew. All right. So uh, the youngest is standing next to me, Emma. She's 15. She's the boss of the household. Um, (laughs) Next to me is my oldest, Matt. Just got married this past May. He's 21. His beautiful wife, Taylor. Next to her is my rib, uh, Liz. We've been married 23 years. And next to her is our 19-year-old daughter, Abby. And uh, like, we have so much fun. Like, we played this thing called Spreading the Gospel Across Our Globe. And we've, we've gotten... Of a first hand look at what God is doing through a generation of students. Okay, and through that, like when I say I don't deserve this, like my claim to fame, okay, still is to this date. My dad was a butcher, my grandfather was a butcher, I can skin a deer in three minutes. Okay? So now imagine, imagine being that good with a knife and then young men coming over wanting to date your daughter. Okay? So so we have a lot of fun in our household, but over the past three and a half years of getting to lead the charge, force to be the light in our nation, God has just opened the door in ways that I never thought would be possible. And I'll share with you this morning a very prophetic word that was spoken over this generation. But just two days ago, Pastor, I was on a Zoom call with a lady by the name of Jan Brogdon. Means nothing to you, but any of you, if you follow NBA basketball you would know the name Malcolm Brogdon who plays for the Pacers okay so this is Malcolm's mom Malcolm has a charity called Hoops 20 okay the past year and a half we've been leading the charge speed the light partnering with world serve international to provide clean water for people in East Africa and beyond. Malcolm went on a trip to East Africa. He said, "Amen." He started raising money through his nonprofit, Hoops 2.0. We also partner with NFL football players through Chris Long's foundation called The Water Boys. And through that Zoom call two days ago, Jan said to me that she wants to match what our students raised this year for the rest, hold on, for the rest of the year. So this conversation just took place two days ago. And she said, we want to match, Malcolm wants to match what your students in the assemblies of God, they're not EG, what your students raise by the end of the year in the amount of 350000 Okay. In addition to that, we have the NFL through Chris Long, you know, punter Johnny Hecker for the Rams, Russell Wilson, uh, Miles Garrett, so I can name men none of which I deserve to be in their shadow of, they're matching up to 500,000 from August of this year to July of next year. So God is just maneuvering all these things and it's not because we care about a program, okay? Because it's just a program, Speed the Light. And it's not even care that we care about the projects, clean water, okay? When we teach a generation of students through the discipleship mechanism of Speed the Light and it starts, hear me, it starts through BGMC. Okay, so if you're in this church and you're new to this whole thing, and I'm throwing words out that you've never heard, BGMC Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, it's the way that our children give into a buddy barrel so God can begin to create in them a heart of compassion to reach lost people across the globe. And they then become young people who give through speed, light, and hopefully the desires that we've discipled a whole generation who understand what it means to not only give, but to possibly go. Because if all we're doing is sitting in church buildings, then why are we doing this thing? That's something that just weighs so heavy on my heart. Like when I look at this thing, I truly do believe that God has called us to do more than just to hear the word. Okay, we're supposed to be doers of it as well. And this is what we're seeing through this generation of students right now living on this earth, that their heart of generosity is open up this pathway of generosity through men, businessmen, and women, and professional athletes like we've never seen before. And I'll tell you the reason why in just a few moments, okay? I believe that we're in a season to where God is calling us as his church to risk everything, okay? COVID has made things completely uneasy, and if anyone has seen COVID... From the north to the south, to the east, to the west, it's me. I live on an airplane. As a matter of fact, September 30th, I turned 44, and people are like, are you spending it with your family? I'm like, yes, I am. My family on American Airlines, the flight (laughs) attendants. Okay, because sometimes I feel, my wife tells people, I need to go on trips with Eric just so I can see him. But we really do bleed this thing because I believe that God has called us. This is our season to risk it all. And sometimes risk is uneasy. Last year, it was about a year ago, I made a terrible life decision. Okay, My wife, I was on a two-week trip. I got back. I landed at Springfield Airport. And I walk outside with my luggage. And my wife is sitting there waiting on me in this beautiful dark navy blue Jeep Wrangler. Okay, It wasn't mine. I look at her and I'm like, what did you do? She said, don't get your hopes up. I didn't buy you a Jeep. Okay. She said, but I know that you love this vehicle. So I decided to rent it for a day. The leaves were starting to change in Branson, Missouri. So we could just take the top down and drive around Branson. I'm like, that's amazing. So the next day, I'm driving this Jeep down the highway. And all of a sudden, I get an alert on my phone from this car dealership, okay, that we've done business with for years from Illinois. And it said this, offering top value on all trade-ins because our stock is low. I'm like, Jesus, are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) So I look at my wife. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I just want to see what the truck's worth. Okay, so who you don't see in that picture is my mother-in-law. She lives with us, too. Okay, she bought me this truck three years ago. Okay, and I said it was just a payoff, so I would never kick her out of my house. <laughs> okay, so I, I reach out to the guy that we, we've done business with for years. He's a Christian. He goes to an AG church that I was on staff at, and I said, hey, Dave. I said, I just got this text from Weber. He goes, well, you don't have anything you want to trade in, do you? I said, as a matter of fact, I have a truck. He goes, what do you owe on it? I said, nothing. My mother-in-law paid, bought it for me. He goes, what do you want? I said, a Jeep Wrangler. He said, you don't want a Jeep. I said, I didn't ask you what I wanted. I just asked, you. you have a Jeep on the property? He said, yes, we do. I found out he offered me 20 grand for this truck. Okay, so I traded in the truck, got this Jeep Wrangler, the vehicle I always wanted. Now, let me just pause because this Jeep, okay, it wasn't souped up at all. Let me prove it to you. It didn't have the lift kit. A lot of Jeeps you see, man, they got the lights. They got the bells. They got the whistles. My kids get into the Jeep. They get into the passenger seat, and they said, dad, how do we put the window down? I'm like, well, there's this thing on the door. You have to grab it, and then you have to move your arm. Okay? My wife, my wife gets in a car. I just get home from work. Okay, she gets in. We're going out to dinner one night, she goes, what are you listening to? Well, this Jeep doesn't have the USB ports that most of the vehicles have today, so it has something called a CD player, young people. Okay? Okay, like, listen, I'm old enough to remember the eight-track player. Okay, come on, Statler Brothers somebody, amen. Okay, so, like, it's just like, so I, I'm listening to 1995 wild worship, baby. I mean, I went up to the attic, I got my CDs out, and I'm driving down the road, and I'm rocking out to Days of Elijah. Come on, the top's down, behold, he comes. Come on, riding on the clouds, like, I'm jamming. And my wife's like, who are you? okay. There's just something about some of the old songs. Okay, Gen Z, I'm gonna use your words. That hits different. Some of you are like, what's he mean by that? Okay, Gen Z has their own language today. Okay, so when they say it hits different, it, it means it's really good. So when I found that out from my kids, they're like, we need to go to Taco Bell, it hits different. I'm like, yeah, Taco Bell hits me different too. <laughs> right? It just means something different (laughs) okay this morning i want to talk to you about taking a risk taking a risk with your life that could alter generations for come to, to come okay that could alter okay the direction that you're living in right now in this season that could alter the missions program of the assemblies of God forever. My heart breaks when I think of our, okay, we're the AG, baby. Come on. Our two, core, our two core values are evangelism and missions. But when I look at missionaries being sent from our fellowship over the last 21 years from the year 2000 to the year 2021, we have a net gain of 35 fully appointed missionaries. No, No one's talking about that number. I'm crazy enough to think that God could be using me to raise up the next generation of missionaries in our fellowship. And I look forward to what could happen if we do it right, if we were to take a risk. Much in the way that I took a risk and I bought that Jeep and and I looked and I, and I I found this article online. Okay, the title of the book is called Notes from a Failure. Everybody wants to read that book, right? Okay, And in this book called Notes from a Failure, I found six things that we need in order to take a risk. Number one, okay, he says to understand that failure is going to happen. Number two, trust the muse. The muse is that thing you cannot kick. It's the voice you hear in the silence, that thought that brings you continual excitement and fear all at the same time. I now understand that the muse in my life is the Holy Spirit, Okay. Number three, be authentic. Number four, be of clear mind. And side note, to be of clear mind, emotions will always cloud discernment. So if you're emotionally involved before you take a risk, don't take the risk. Okay, Because your emotions will cloud the right choice. Number five, fully understand what you're risking and make a decision to be all in. And number six, know that you typically only get one shot. So when I think about this idea of taking a risk, I'm drawn to this portion of Scripture in 580 BC when God spoke to a POW and asked him to take a very specific risk. Now, in order for us to understand what's going on in the life of the prophet Jeremiah, we need to know that in this season of life, King Nebuchadnezzar was over Babylon Okay, and the prophets have been prophesying that an enemy was going to come and ravage the city. Nebuchadnezzar had just finished his third and final raid on Jerusalem, and everything now laid in ruins. Okay, he turned this prosperous city, the city where God was raising up his temple, into nothing but Ruins. They took, he took tens of thousands of young people and he made them his prisoners of war, and all he left was destruction in his wake. And through all this, God begins to speak to Jeremiah as Jeremiah is in prison and says to him, I need you to purchase some property. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 32. This word is spoken. Let me read it to you, starting with verse 6. Hear this word. Jeremiah says, The Lord told me that Hanamel, my uncle Shalom's son, would come to me with a request to buy his field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, because I was his nearest relative and had the right to buy it for myself. Then just as the Lord had said, Hanamel came to me in the courtyard and asked me to buy this field. Now remember... Jerusalem's completely destroyed. Everything is left in ruins. Imagine, everything's burnt up. And God says, Hey, Jeremiah, you see that property out there? I want you to buy it because it's yours to have. How many of you would say that's a risk that is not worth taking? Right? Let me go on. So Jeremiah says, I knew that the Lord had really spoken to me. I bought the field from Hanamel and weighed out the money to him. The price came to 17 pieces of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the money on scales. Then I took both copies of the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the contract and its conditions, and the open copy, and gave them to Baruch, the son of Neriah and grandson of Messiah. I gave them to him in the presence of Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed of purchase and of the people who were sitting in the courtyard. See how public this is? Okay, not only does he take the risk, he does it in front of everybody. Everybody sees this thing. And then he says... Before them all, I said to Baruch, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, has ordered you to take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and the open copy, and place them in a clay jar so that they may, may be preserved for years to come. Why do we put things in jars and seal them to preserve them? Okay? God does things in our life sometimes because he expects us to follow through and just listen to his word with the intent of us waiting patiently upon him, because sometimes we have to do things and just believe that he will see it come to pass. In Jeremiah's life right now, Jeremiah is going through this process of taking a risk, buying the property, and then God says, seal it up. Because God ends this portion of scripture with a very strategic promise. He says, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, has said that houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. You see the journey of that verse? The risk that Jeremiah was taken? Okay. And through this, Jeremiah buries this deed like a seed waiting for harvest. Understand this that the person who looks for quick results when they are burying something will always become disappointed. When you bury a seed, there will always be long stretches of darkness and visibility and silence that separates the planting of the seed from the harvesting of it. It's as if God is saying to you and I to buy something that's in seed form, bury it and watch what he's about to do. What God is saying to Jeremiah is you may see rubbish, but I see building and vineyards that are going to come back to this land. Today, National Speed the Light Sunday. Okay, as pastors and district youth directors are like are canvas in the nation talking about missional generosity, it's so easy for us to not want to give of ourselves financially to something like missions because of the way that we're the way that we view the world. Okay, we see destruction, we see devastation. But missions, both domestic and foreign, requires a process of sowing. Sometimes when you sow, you have to wait, even when you can't see what's about to be produced from it. Jeremiah is looking at this, and God's saying to bury it. It may be dark, it may be invisible, there may be silence, but I'm working, Jeremiah, watch what I'm about to do. When it comes to missions, God is saying to you and I, Okay, because we see this. Like, I love speed the lights. One of of my favorite things recently that we get to do, I get a phone call from a guy by the name of Mike Bartell. Mike oversees a ministry called Free International. Have any of you ever heard of it? Raise your hand. Thank you, Pat. I see that hand. Okay. So Free International, right now in the U.S., is rescuing and restoring young ladies who are being trafficked for sex. That just in the month of August, while all the pastors from the Assemblies of God and all the students from the AG congregated in Orlando, Florida for our National Youth Convention and General Council free setup shop in Orlando to go rescue women who are being trafficked. And that week, just that week, eight women were rescued. Yeah. Now, these women, when they're taken by their pimps, are marked with a tattoo. One under their ear or one behind their neck? Mike calls me up and he says, Eric, he goes, I have an opportunity to buy a tattoo removal machine. Would Speed the Light be interested? Absolutely. We're in. Why should ladies still be marked by man when God has given us the opportunity through our generosity to allow them to be marked by his name. okay, And through this, like we really watch what God is doing because Speed the Light is so much bigger than just vehicles and communication equipment that we are a part of something bigger. We're rescuing women from sex trafficking here in the U.S. and in India and Moldova. And we're providing clean water for people in Africa, but also here in the U.S., what if I told you that in the Navajo Nation right now in the United States 40% of them don't have clean water in their homes? Somebody should do something about that. Why shouldn't it be us? Okay, so we're on board. Like we're running with this thing. Like we have this game plan over the next 10 years to raise 300 million dollars. And some for some they think of that number 300 million. Eric, you're absolutely crazy. I am. Crazy enough to look at God's word and believe that he is who he says that he is, that money is such a small thing to him, that with a snap of his finger, okay, clean water can flow in the Navajo Nation once again, okay? We just get to be a part of this, and it's in this season that God's calling his people, hey, take a step of faith and just bury the seed. Just bury the seed. When it comes to missions, you and I see murder and riots and destruction and hate and famine and abuse and trafficking and war, But man, when I look at our nation, I see buildings and vineyards that are going to be produced from the rubble once again. I see lives on this globe that are going to be changed with the gospel of Jesus, and we get to be a part of it. But God's given us this word, Jeremiah's example, for to be something that we look at. And we're able to dive into in such a way to, to where we can see visually three things. That if we were just to follow Jeremiah's example... We could impact the entire globe. Number one, sometimes God will ask you to do the ridiculous in order to see the fantastic. Really, God, you want me to buy this? thing? Can you imagine being Jeremiah in that moment? Hey, Jeremiah, your cousin's coming. He's gonna offer you this property. That property right over there where smoke is coming up off the ground, that's your piece of property. Okay, you see that area where there's nothing, All the vegetation is gone. All the trees have burnt down. That property is yours. I want you to buy it. Okay? People look at Jeremiah. People are looking at Jeremiah. What are you doing? Can you imagine the people telling Jeremiah, hey, don't do it? Don't give your money for that. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of resources. Don't give. Okay? Sometimes we have to do the ridiculous in order to see the fantastic. We can't be afraid to try new things. You know why? The Ark was built by an amateur, but the Titanic was built by engineers. Okay? And I'll tell you, I'll trust the amateur every single time if they have God on their side. And man, does this generation, Gen Z, you have God on your side if you're in this room and you're between the ages of seven and 25? Stand up. Come on, seven and 25. Just stay standing. I'm not, I'm not gonna ask you to do like there's there's a bunch of people up in the balcony. Like, please hear me. Okay? The pressure for a great move of God is not on me. Okay, the pressure's on you. Because three and a half years ago. Listen, three and a half years ago, I was at an event speaking as the National Speedlight Director, and a young lady came forward at the altar call, and she spoke a very specific prophetic word over your generation. Church, you need to know this. You guys can be seated. Okay, that in Houston, Texas. I've been sharing this every single week that I preach this word, because this word For us as parents should change the way that we lead our children it should this night I'm in this room pastor 7,000 people and the worship team comes up to me before service and they said Eric what song do you want us to do for the altar time I said well actually I don't even want you to come up on the stage they're like what you're going to do an altar service for 7,000 kids and you're not going to have us on the stage I'm like yeah and I'm going to turn all the lights on too Okay, because I understand, and I'm part of the problem. Please hear me. 40, I, I'm 44. I've been doing youth ministry for 25 years. Okay, I created this culture to where we've taught a generation to react to a song instead of respond to the Holy Spirit. Okay, like I'm convinced I can get up here and I can sing acapella. I can't sing at all. I can't even hold a tune if it's in my hands, but I can sing, this is how I fight my battles and kids will just start running to the altar. Because we've conditioned them to do that, but that night it was just something different. The Holy Spirit was in the room. I talked about burden for lost people. I asked, would you give your life? And 500 students are rushing the stage and one young lady as she's up there, she's weeping, she looks at me, she points at me and she asks me to come down off the platform. Okay, listen, grandparents in the room, you've been praying for this for years. You've been faithful, you've been waiting, it's here. She comes up and she goes, Eric, God, give me a word for the room. I'm like, you want me to give you the microphone and let you share this? She goes, I wrote it down. The moment I read it, I knew God had marked this generation. Here's what she says. She comes to the the stage. She reads this word. Be prepared. Change is coming. Over three years ago. Has change come? Yeah, I get to see it everywhere I go. Now, know in this room that night, National Youth Convention, there's boomers, there's Xers, there's millennials, and there's Gen Z all together. She reads this word, be prepared, change is coming. I am a God of unconventional ways, and you are a generation of unconventional anointing. I say it again, I'm coming back, old ways no longer work, that is why I've called you Church, listen up, an unconventional generation is going to change the world. I say this because there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Change will break in my name, and my name will spread like wildfire. My anointing will pour out like never before. And church, I'm telling you, change is coming, for I'm coming soon. Youth, do not fight the plan that I have for your life, because an unconventional generation can only be reached with an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit, and this is why I called you. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, this should change the way that we lead. I wonder if we started to live out this word, this prophetic word in our lives so our students can watch it and mirror it, if some of the things that we've allowed to creep into our lives and our homes would still be there. Because I see, okay, a nation that has forfeited holiness for worldliness, and yet God has set apart this generation. And listen, Gen Z, okay, people are going to tell you that you're absolutely crazy if you start living this thing out on your campuses and in your homes. But let me remind you, they told Noah that he was crazy too. And Noah building the ark is what saved the world. Okay, that God is looking at you. He sets you apart. And he's saying literally through you, Gen Z, an unconventional anointing is upon this earth once again. Okay, there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. When people say, Eric, seriously, NBA basketball players are giving to speed the light? There's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Okay, it's not because of anything I'm doing. It's just because of the favor of God that's on this generation. Okay, and what would it look like, okay, if we were to just lead our kids... Okay, with the type of faith to know that God has set them apart to do greater things than what we have even seen on this earth. That sometimes he's calling us to do the ridiculous because he wants the fantastic to be poured out. He's looking for a church to serve with irrational obedience so he can do great things once again Okay, to lead with faith that we haven't seen in years. George Mueller, who ran an orphanage in England, says that this kind of faith is a faith that does not operate in the realm of the possible because there's no glory for God in that realm that is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Okay, where where are God's people who just believe that God can and he will? Okay, where are those folks in our churches? As I travel, like I get so, like I'm people are like Eric, you're so passionate because this thing just burns in me because I see it from one state to another, there's an apathetic spirit in our churches that we say that God can, but we don't live life as if he will. Okay, and I look at this, and I hear, I hear this thing called COVID. I said it three months ago in Orlando in a room full of students. I said to this, student, this generation, I said, Gen Z, what if you are the vaccination for COVID? Okay, what if... Okay, and understand Gen Z is our children, our youth, and our young adults. What if they fell to their needs with a desperation to cry out in such a way that they're praying for family members that have been impacted by this thing that the enemy has placed on this earth, and they start speaking out in the name of Jesus and pleading the blood that COVID would disappear, and it's gone. Okay, we keep trying to operate in our own power, and yet God's wanting to move. He's looking for us to be just a little ridiculous. Why? Because number two, just because something is forgotten by man doesn't mean that God has forgotten about it. That on this earth right now, these statistics are from joshuaproject.org. There's 7.76 billion people on the globe, of which 3.24 billion of them are unreached or never been reached. It's 42%. 42%, 42%, and I tend to think as I travel and I see people commit their lives to Jesus that every now and then I, I, I just envision Jesus being excited, sitting up next to his Father in heaven saying, Dad, this one, this one right here, this morning, their word, what they're telling me that they're gonna do, that they're gonna give, their are all, they're gonna follow through. I, I believe they're gonna follow through. And yet I see from one state to another Through desperation and and emotions, we tell God we're going to do it, and then we leave leave these buildings that we call churches, and we don't live out what we promise. How is it possible that there's still 42% of the people on this planet that have never heard about the, the God, the Savior that impacted our lives so greatly that we say has changed us, and yet we're not doing anything so he could change others? Okay. Why is it important? Because sometimes we forget that there are people in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our state, and across the globe that have still had no opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. That next Sunday morning, I'll be in Kenai, Alaska, and in the state of Alaska, there's still unreached people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus. Okay, that's not too far from here. Okay, maybe this morning God will put upon someone's heart in this room to go live in the middle of nowhere Alaska to jump on biplanes and boats and share the gospel with people because if all we're doing is trying to be comfort here in the mundane of our own lives and schedules, then why are we doing this thing called the gospel? Okay, that God is looking for his people to understand that maybe just maybe we have forgotten that there's still 42% through that. He wants to plant seed through us. He wants us to understand. I can remember as a child, okay, I'm blessed, got to know my great-grandparents. I was 26 years of age when they passed away, okay? Longevity is in my family, okay? It's like the people in my family, they just don't want to die, okay? So they like live for for, I mean, late, late nineties. I had a great grandma lived until she was 102. So I've known all my great grandparents, but Pap it. Okay. Pat would plant this garden every single summer. It was the biggest garden I've ever seen in my life. And every summer he would give me one job as a kid. I'd go down, he'd let me plant the radishes. Okay. The white ones, not the red ones. Pap liked it spicy. He'd give me the pack and he'd, dig the trench and I'd place the seeds and we'd cover it up and week after week I'd go to his house and I would run to that garden and I would see if that seed would start growing yet and I can remember one instance to where I would start seeing the buds break through and the the leaves would start growing up and I would start saying to pap pap they're ready the radishes are ready I see the no Eric they're not ready the next week I'd go down I'd run into his house pap I'm telling you this the, the radishes are ready Eric, they're not ready. The next week, same thing, and I kept doing this until finally he said to me, "He said, if you think they're ready, Eric, go ahead and pull the seed, pull the radish." And I went down to the garden, and I grabbed that radish plant, and I pulled it up, and I got all these leaves up on top, but at the very bottom, it looked like a toothpick. <laughs> Was there a problem with the seed? No, there, there wasn't a problem with the seed. Okay, the issue was I chose to pull them out of the ground prematurely, and I did not trust the process that in the silence, in the darkness, and away from man 's activity it 's God who begins to bring it up due to his power and his might okay and what I was looking at it wasn 't the same picture that I saw on the packet, and that 's what Jeremiah was going through right now. He was having that moment of well, God, like I know you say this that That uh, buildings and vineyards will be again on that property, but that's not what I see. But church, I need you to understand that when the picture doesn't match, it doesn't matter because God never forgets a promise. And his promise is that all will know the name of Jesus. And he's looking to you and I this morning to take these moments in the silence away from man's activity away from the news stations the social network the television sets the sporting events our work schedules the routine of church and he's asking will you just listen and if i tell you would you risk it all would you risk it all missions money doesn't always translate To immediate results. When we give to something like missions, we're just planting seed. We are giving in a manner that we trust the process. It's understanding that when we buy and bury, we're making a long-term commitment. And for some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit will place on your heart to make a long-term commitment to missions. Okay, that's what it's about. You may never see it grow. When you give to missions, you may never see it grow. Okay, but you're leaving a legacy. In your generosity. Do you know what legacy is? Legacy is a future without you still being influenced by you. Okay, that's what it is when we flow in the generous and we give so the forgotten can be known by Jesus. Okay, that's why we do this thing. It's understanding that sometimes God will do the, wants us to do the ridiculous in order to see the fantastic. That just because something is forgotten by man doesn't mean that God has forgotten. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm not moved by what I see, I'm not moved by what I feel, I'm just moved by what I believe. And this is my final point and the most important believing in the beginning of the story really does matter. Believing in the beginning, it matters. We have to believe that God is who he says that he is. He is the God of Genesis and he's also the God who sent Jesus to the cross. It mattered to Jeremiah that he is the God of creation because Jeremiah staked his money and his future upon this. This is, this is where it gets, I get really irate because the creation versus evolution debate is larger than what we think. Okay. What the enemy is desiring to do right now, what we are facing as a nation and as a church, the future of the church centers around this debate. I believe that any error about creation leads to an error about God. I have issues with Christian evolutionists because I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God from the beginning to the end. Okay, now it gets tricky because we are carnal people and when we read in God's word things that tend to make us uncomfortable, we want to change those things. Okay, but I need you to know and I need you to share with the world that you can't change the book that was created to change you. Okay, we don't get that privilege. Okay, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we need to squelch the lies that are out there. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who was an atheist, and that friend did not believe in God but preferred to take the position that the universe just happened. One day, his friend was visiting, and Newton showed him a model of the solar system that he began to put together. It was the sun, the planets, the moon. They were all in place. The sizes and spheres were in proportion to the planets, and the satellites revolved around the sun at their relative speeds. And a friend, admiring the model, said, this is so intriguing. Who made it? Newton replied, nobody. It just happened. It's flying over the Grand Canyon yesterday. And the aerial view of rivers being cut into those mountains. God's majestic hand is all over that place. And yet the world just thinks it just happened. So let me give you four false facts this morning. False fact number one. Books write themselves without the need of an author. False fact number two. Cars build themselves without the need of a manufacturer. False fact number three, music composes itself into beautiful harmonies without the need of a composer. And false fact number four, the whole universe came into being through a process of random chance and beneficial mutations without any need of a designer. Okay, we have the most educated people on the planet who tell us that we need an author to have a book, a composer to have music, a manufacturer to have cars, and yet this just all happened. I love what the great English writer G.K. Chesterton said about this. He said, It is absurd. For the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. Come on, church. Our God created the heavens and the earth. And that's why it's so important to understand that when we forget about how the story all began, we allow for a lack of faith to creep in. Listen to me close. You lose faith for the impossible when you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I don't believe in a Big Bang theory. I believe in a Big God theory. And Jeremiah is a creationist, and he prays the song, a song that many who have grown up in church sang. Remember, I said those old songs just hit differently. Okay, and he praised a song that many of you sang in church growing up, and you'll know when I share the scripture, he doesn't sing it. He prays it. Jeremiah is in jail. He's looking at God's people in Babylon, and he understands beyond everything else that God is on the throne. Jeremiah is in prison. God's people are POWs in Babylon and Jerusalem laid in ruins, but God is still on the throne. and This is why Jeremiah does the only thing that he knows how to do. Okay, He doesn't sing. He prays. I think in order for you and I to understand missions, we have to be a creationist. We have to remember how it all began. So Jeremiah prays because he knows that God had it under control. He prays and appeals to Genesis chapter 1. He goes back to the very beginning of the book. He says that if God can create from nothing, if God can create from nothing, and I'm looking at destruction, then if he did it once, he can do it again. So in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 16 through 17, it says these words, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, I imagine that after this process went through, they lead Jeremiah back to the prison cell. And it's in that moment, like I just, I always just try putting myself in, in God's word. If anyone else like that? Like I just tried to envision what that moment would look like, okay? And I imagine them leading him back and he falls to his knees and he thinks to himself, because we're all carnal beings, what did I just do? What, what did I just do? Like God, like I know you told me it's mine to take, but look out there, it's destroyed. I just, I just, I just purchased that. And then it says in verse 17, Jeremiah says, I prayed. Sovereign Lord, you made the earth and the sky by your great power and might. Nothing is too difficult for you. Come on, you sing that song, right? Church, growing up, nothing is too difficult, right? We we used to sing that over and over again. And if we lived by those words, how would our lives look differently today? So, there in his prison, so I believe an overwhelming confidence came over Jeremiah as he began realizing that, as big of a task he may think it is for God to rebuild on a devastated land, that the same God who spoke nothing into something, if he did it once, he'll do it again. And then I look at our churches and I wonder is it possible that when it comes to missions, we limit what God can do through us because of our lack of faith. You can go ahead and start that video for me. Here's what I see. I see God's people surrounded by a world where the nation of Haiti is struggling from an earthquake, the second 7.0 earthquake in a decade, which consists of 11 million people, which 90% of them do not know Christ. I see the nation of Indonesia, the world's largest Muslim-dominated nation, that over the last couple of years has seen a quarter of a million people die in natural disasters, tsunamis, and earthquakes, leaving hundreds of thousands of others homeless, susceptible to all kinds of diseases and hungry. I see a nation like India, where there are more people living below the poverty line than there are people in the United States altogether. I see a world where over half the people are living on less than $2 a day while we sit here every single one of us filthy rich compared to the rest of the globe. Furthermore, here in the United States, we spend collectively $3.3 billion yearly on garbage bags, while 1.8 billion people are living without improved sanitation practices. I see a world Where 790 million people are living without access to clean drinking water. I see a world where our dogs and our cats are eating better than our brothers and sisters in the Sudan. Where last week, last week alone, 50,000 people died of AIDS as we walked into our rapid test centers, our take care clinics, and emergency rooms. Last week alone, 100,000 children died of hunger-related diseases while we disposed of a third of the income food that we purchased. Last week, just last week, 14,000 children died due to waterborne issues while individually we flushed 1.6 gallons down the drain five times a day. In addition, hundreds of thousands of others were trafficked around the world for human sexual exploitation. And our biggest concern last week was the price of gas or whether the child tax credit would be hitting our accounts. And on top of all of that, Thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters are imprisoned and persecuted in China and Laos and North Korea and Saudi Arabia. And in addition to all this, there's still another billion people who haven't even heard the name of Jesus that's on my lips this morning. I see all this and then I look. I look at the church. I see so few of our churches risking everything for the mission. We have retreated. We have retreated into our nice big buildings where we sit in our cushioned seats and the comfortable atmospheres, where we are insulated and isolated from the inner cities and the spiritual lostness of the world, where we've given a tip of our hats to world missions and evangelism as an optional program for the faithful few, while we go on designing endless programs that revolve around us. And when we should be on the firing lines for God, we find that most of them are still in the nurseries of our churches drinking spiritual milk. With the mammoth needs of a world without Christ in front of us and the glory of Christ in us, we face two options. We can retreat from this mission into a land of religious correctness and wasted opportunity or we can risk everything to fulfill the divine purpose for which we've been created. I say, let's risk it all. For the sake of a billion people, who haven't even heard his name. Let's risk it all for the sake of millions in our country who are heading to a Christless eternity. I say let's risk it all for the sake of the lost people you and I know in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our communities. Let's risk it all for the sake of the hurting, the hungry, the thirsty, the trafficked, and the displaced. Let's risk it all. Let me remind you. The author of Hebrews is saying, and he tells us very clearly, that the Jesus we say we represent, he was in the dirty places. He was in the dangerous places. He was in the despised places. That's where he went. Is that the Jesus that we are following? We cannot sit back in comfort. We must go to the need. That is what it means to die to comfort, to die to self, to die in our devotion. We are aliens and strangers on this earth, and we are looking forward to another place, a place that is not our own, one that God promises to prepare for us. And though we may suffer disgraces for the sake of Christ, we look ahead to our reward. I believe that higher the risk, higher the reward. This is why we must go to the dirty. We must go to the despised, and we must go to the dangerous because we are convinced that the glory of Christ is worth it. Are we going to die in religion, or are we going to risk it all for the one and die in our devotion? This is our mission. Giving our money is easy, but will we give our lives? It's time that the church begins to normalize the impossible. And make him known to all. This is why. I travel the nation. And I look people in the eye. And I, and I ask, would you consider, given everything, given it all, given your life, and for some in this room this morning, like you're struggling because you're watching that video and you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's good for somebody, somebody not like me, but God, God, you, you couldn't possibly use me, God. Okay. Let me remind you, if God can bring buildings and vineyards on a, a destroyed property, that promise that he said to Jeremiah, if, if God can do that, okay, using you is easy. Okay. But God, you don't understand my life's a mess. Okay, my husband and I, we, we're not getting along at all. Some, some look at us and we hate each other. Okay, God, like, I really need you to fix that. And, and God's sitting there and he's saying to us, well, nothing is too difficult for me okay, God, I'm just so addicted to this thing and I I just can't kick it. Am, Am I ever going to see victory from this thing? Nothing is too difficult for him. God, my kids, they've strayed away. They're not serving you faithfully. God, I've been praying for them. When are you gonna bring them home? Nothing is too difficult for him. God, I can't find a job. Okay, I've been looking for years. COVID, COVID just has me depressed and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And God say, nothing is too difficult for him. Do you serve that God? Because when I look across the nation and I walk in our churches, here's what I see. I see a lot of people that have allowed Jesus to be their Savior, but not their Lord. There's a difference. Okay? Like, it's just not about punching your ticket to heaven. It's about being the hands and feet and the representation of him on this earth while we live here. Here. Him being your Lord, being in charge of the things that you say, the way that you act, and the things that you watch. That's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord. Nothing is too difficult. And if he can take the ruins and rubble of your life and turn it around in such a way to where you recognize that type of love, okay, you could change your family dynamic for generations to come. I'm proof of that. I never have to worry about my son walking into my closet and finding pornography. I never have to worry about my kids going to my refrigerator and finding alcohol. I never have to worry about my kids ever wondering if mom and dad are getting divorced. I never have to worry because Jesus is truly the Lord of my life. Does that mean I get along with my wife all the time? No, it doesn't. Okay, But I look at her with the same eyes, at least I try to, that Jesus looks at her. And I understand that if Jesus can rebuild my life, my generations to come, my family, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And it's as simple as admitting. Admitting that you suffer from this dysfunction called sin. Okay, That there's not a promise, a preacher, a platform, a program, or a prescription that can fix that. Only he can. Whatever you're dealing with, nothing is too difficult for him. Believing that if he can do that, he, can, he also died on the cross for you. Okay, Somebody had to pay for our sin, and Jesus did that for us. Okay, There was a price to pay, and he willingly volunteered to give his life as the perfect lamb to die for us. Why? Because he knew it was the only way. And it's understanding in your heart of hearts that he did indeed do that for you. And then he asked you to confess. Okay, I love the way the apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I was in Africa two and a half years ago. On this small island off of Tanzania called Mafia Island. 50,000 people on this island, only 300 known Christians. Okay, I said to the missionary, I said, So how do you know that there's only 300 Christians on this entire island? He said, Because here on Mafia Island, when they profess and declare Jesus as Lord, they make them go to the town square and do it publicly. Because on this island, okay, the people here practice a very deep form of Islam during the daytime and a very dark form of witchcraft during the nighttime. He said, so in that moment, they are immediately marked by the one and the way, and his name is Jesus. Most of them get beat up continually. It's tragic what goes on there. It changed the way that I do this moment. I thought to myself, if they can do it publicly on Mafia Island, why, why aren't we doing that in our churches? No one's going to beat you up, hit you over the head with a hammer if you profess Jesus. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to declare that we're going to journey with you as you go through this thing. You won't be alone. okay? But for years, we've been asking people to go into a very private moment and declare Jesus their Lord, and then we wonder why they don't live it out publicly when they leave our buildings. So this morning, if you want to risk it all, this is my first ask. If you want to risk it all, and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord. Okay, to declare him the Lord of your life. Okay, some of you, he started working on you. The Holy Spirit was working on you. The moment you walked in this building, you felt that there was something different that was about to happen. A shift was taking place in your heart already this morning, and this is your moment to risk it all then I just wanna ask, if that's you, I wanna invite you to stand to your feet and just say these words, I declare Jesus my Lord. Is there anyone? Stand to your feet and say it. Stay standing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you were just preparing this room before we even walked into it this morning. And I pray for every man and woman that stood to their feet. God, I believe that some of them have been faithfully serving you for years, but others, this is the very first time God, that an overwhelming sense of peace and acceptance would fall upon them right now. Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to speak into them, whispering in their ear, allowing them to know that no matter what situation that they're dealing with or going through, that nothing is too difficult for you. Father, but also in this room, God, as we watch this video, our hearts are stirred. I know it every time I do it, God, my heart is stirred to, to lead with action. God, that we, we understand that you are calling us to impact and influence the 42%, but God, we can't impact the 42% of the globe if we can't even impact our community. God, and in this room, you're calling missionaries to, to this city right now to be the hands and the feet of your son Jesus, to the coffee shops and gas stations and grocery stores, to the neighborhoods and campuses. God, that right now there's, there's a shift taking place in the hearts of your people. And through this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray that it would not be just words, but it would be led with action. So if you're in this room and you're seated and you know the Holy Spirit is asking you to risk it all in your workplace, to no longer be ashamed to share that Jesus is your Lord. To no longer be ashamed to speak out and pray over individuals that are going through difficult times. Maybe you're a student and God is calling you, Gen Z, to impact the campus that you're on. Okay, you're on the football team and He's given you an amazing gift, but that's not why He's given you that gift so you can run up and down a field. He's given you that gift so you can impact and influence those who are living in darkness. And if you're in this room right now and you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's saying it's time you risk it all in your workplace, on your campuses, in your family, would you stand to your feet right now? You're done playing games. You're risking it all. Come on. It's changing here. You're risking it all. Okay, the world is looking for hope that can only be found in the name of Jesus. And he's calling on us right now, the church to sometimes to do the ridiculous in order to see the fantastic. Okay, and to understand just because we forget, I do, I forget that there's people across the globe living in dark areas that have never had the name of Jesus presented to them. And I'm not going to sit back any longer and be okay with it, that God has called me to do more. Okay, but we have to lean in and we have to know that the beginning of the story does matter. We have to fight for the word in our communities. Okay, we're, in a, we're on a globe where it's trying to be stripped away from us. We have to be outspoken. God is looking for boldness to erupt from his people once again. Father, I thank you and I praise you. That you just have given me this amazing opportunity to be a voice in this season of our globe. God, I don't take it lightly. And I pray that this morning for every individual who stood and declared you Lord, God, that there was a shift and, and a change of pathway that's already beginning to form on the horizon. God, I believe that, that we will hear stories much of like my own, God, that through that moment to where I declared you my Lord, that everything changed in my life, but it changed generations to come because of that moment. God, I pray that from this moment of people standing and saying, I will risk it all. I'll risk it all on my campus. I'll risk it all in my workplace. I'll risk it all in my community. God, I pray that there are people today that we will encounter that are hurting and just looking for an extended hand of hope. And it would be our words of prayer and the smile on our face that allows them to know that you are alive and active in our lives. Father, we no longer live by fear. God, we live with the understanding that this is our moment to risk it all. And I look forward to hearing the reports of what you do in this great body of believers. I thank you and I give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a hand, a clap offering pastor.
1: Eric, thank you so much. Thank you for your obedience to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the work you do on behalf of our denomination, but most importantly, for what you do for the Lord. Thank you for challenging us this morning. We needed it. The whole country needs it. It is time for us to rise up as sons and daughters of the Lord and to do what he's called us to do. We can no longer just sit in our holy huddles. This isn't a social club. This is a place where we come to get fed the Word of God and then act out that Word of God in our daily life. And I don't need to go on any further. You covered it very well, but thank you so much. And thank those of you who are obedient to what the Holy Spirit was asking you to do. If it is in your heart, to want to give to speed the light. I know that our youth ministry is it has a drive going right now. Anthony, what is the goal? $600? $1,500. Did I get that right? Okay. Uh, as, as he explained, you know, our kids don't have that kind of money. <laughs> It comes through their parents and their family members and whatever. And uh, the board has already told Anthony that if he meets his goal, we will match it. And so I would like to, yeah. I would like for our kids to see God in action. I would like them to see that goals are not unattainable. That when we set our mind to do something and we know that the power of God is behind us, that it can and it will happen. And that happens through obedient men and women of God. So if you would like to give towards this cause on your way out, we have giving envelopes in the pew pockets in front of you. Just put your name on it, drop in whatever you'd like and drop it in the offering canisters on your way out. I would sure like for them to go into tonight's Rally, knowing that they've already achieved their goal, knowing that that's gonna be met by the church board and then anything else that comes forward would be a great blessing to speed the light. So, be prayerful about that. Even if you didn't come prepared to do it today, you can do it next week as well. And it will all go towards Speed the Light and the goal that we have set. Enjoyed being here today? Go ahead and stand to your feet. All of you, we're going to close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the powerful word that's been presented to us today, the challenge that has been placed. My prayer is, Father, that this church would become a Not just a missions-minded church, but that we would become soul-winning kind of people. That we would not be afraid to share your goodness with others and what you have done in our lives. That we would be bold in the workplace, that we would be bold with our families, that we would be bold out in the public, and call it for what it is, that we are believers of the Most High God who does not change, who knows the end from the beginning and everything in between, who created us and everything that we see and that has a plan for this world and that is that all would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and His Savior. So, Father, as we leave here, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide our steps, places we go, people we're with, the conversations that we have, that they would be conversations that would build up and not tear down. That we would be shining lights in a very dark world. And that would be your love shining through us. And that that love would be so compelling that it would open up doors for people to come to us and say, what is it about you that is different? And the door is open and we share about your goodness. Lead them to the cross or invite them to church, whatever it is. God, use us this week. I pray that you will give every one of us an opportunity in the next seven days to open our mouths and to share your goodness with someone else. I ask that between now and the time we gather together again, you would keep us safe from any sicknesses and diseases. Pray that you would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us, anything that would prevent us from coming together as the family of God and worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here today. Thank you for the work that you have done in our hearts. Thank you for the seeds that have been planted And thank you for the miracles that will come out of this day. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.